0: Old. Aaron! Uh-huh. I'm at It's season 9, episode 12. 12. 12. Oh, it it so
1: How's it going? Oh, you good. sound like maybe you have a some sort of lung head thing going on. Uh, I, Don't cough on me.
0: <laughs> <laughs> it has been hard. It has been really hard. I got a cold.
1: Did right you get a right cold from the polar vortex?
0: No, it oh. came in before the I oh. can't blame oh. the vortex. On well, this.
1: that didn't help, though.
0: No. But, um, it showed up just as I started teaching, and it's it's oh it's killing my throat, I'm congested all the time I, and then just weepy, just so much so much liquid is produced by your face during a cold eyes
1: nose it's That's it's, very unpleasant yeah it is yeah yeah i'm the I'm the victim here I should have had you call in <laughs> from a remote location. <laughs>
0: But you invited me into your office to podcast. Did I? Speaking of podcasts, this is season nine. When is season 10 going to start? I don't
1: know. I usually think of the seasons by the growing seasons. So as we think about like spring and what spring brings, usually that's when we switch it over. So it's not fiscal year, calendar year. It's not, it's really our own season. Mm.
0: Uh, That's kind of deep. Yeah. Every, every reason to have a new season
1: with every season, turn, turn, turn.
0: This is what they call in podcasting, a lull.
1: Mm-hmm. Oh, I thought they called it boring. You <laughs> can switch oh, to the other soybean podcast now. Oh wait, <laughs> there aren't any.
0: Until there is, you're stuck with us. Hey, I uh, got a bunch of stuff I wanna share and uh, talk about. Um, okay. I had a crazy, uh, couple of weeks and got uh, exposed to some stuff that uh, I wanted to share with the world um, and you um, and I think all of this gets filed under um, IPM
1: okay
0: in the sense that uh, uh, there are, it's, it's becoming clear to me that there's some really new kind of cool ways to effectively manage insects that go beyond insecticides and they start to kind of challenge at least my thought on um, how we might think about pest management beyond kind of what is traditionally done
1: okay
0: um, and I found out about some of this at a meeting in um Erin's taking away the, it, that fluttering sound she's taking away my, my little hand manipulation you need a
1: fidget spinner dude I do
0: um, a silent one uh, I got to participate in an event by a group called Fall Line Capital. They have a summit every year for their farmers and then for um, companies that support agribusiness. Or or, maybe that's not quite the right way to say it, but these are uh, companies that support farmers, but they also uh, help produce the products that agribusiness then goes on to sell to other people. Some of it was um, not yet uh, field ready, but in discussions with how they would develop technology that that might bring some uh, remarkable innovation to farming. For example, um, there was one company that was uh, pitching a drone that could carry a 50-gallon tank of liquid, yeah. uh, and they hinted that it, it could probably carry a person, although they said that that's probably not legal, and if asked, they would deny it. But then the speaker winked a little bit. Um, but it was remarkable. And the idea that, uh, you know, drones that I think of that we see are fairly small, right? But a Like under gallon, three
1: feet, yeah. Yeah,
0: this, they were saying like a, a
1: quarter ton could be carried by this vehicle. Is it really a drone anymore then? Or is it just because it's not like pilot-assisted, like the, it's a remote pilot? That's right. It's There's no
0: pilot on this. So okay. I, I guess that is I guess. The, the threshold for whether it's a drone or not. Um, and they were struggling to enter into the market because um, you know there's already aerial applicators, so they're looking for their niche. And um, you know they I, they asked me, "What do you think?" I was like, "Well, you know, spot spraying and you know more targeted precision ag kind of stuff. This this uh, holds some potential for that." And they said, "Well, sure, but it's if we're spraying less, we're getting." paid less right and they need to come up with a business model that works and yeah it was interesting Uh, that's sort of the far end uh, my
1: my first thought about that is spray a more high value crop yeah it's going to be smaller acreage but the products would be more expensive usually yeah yeah Yeah.
0: Yeah. but they're they're not limiting themselves just to apples and you know vegetables they're like yeah how can we make this technology work for corn and soybean farmers it was interesting. Um, th- that was one extreme, right? That's not yet a product that you can buy off the shelf. They're uh, um, they're, they're hoping to get there, but a product, some products that are uh, commercially available, maybe not yet in the United States. Oh, sorry, I made some noise. I can't stop fidgeting. You're better at this than I am. Um, there were uh, a couple people from companies that. Uh, develop are trying to develop things like RNAi or you know gene silencing or GMO uh, technologies and not too novel you know but uh, but one that I thought was really novel that predates that was a company that sells semiochemicals typically these are pheromones sex pheromones right mm-hmm. that are used for uh, trapping for mating disruption of insect pests, but they've taken it to another level. And this company is called ISCA. You can Google them, ISCA Tech. Um, It's a company that was set up by a um, former postdoc that worked here at um, Iowa State University. And he uh, presented some of their newer, kind of cool technology using semiochemicals. So what is semiochemical? It's a term for uh, chemicals typically they're volatiles that are released by an organism to perform some kind of communication. In and of themselves, they may not kill or you know, affect the physiology of an organism, but they're going to communicate something like they're being attractant or repellent. That makes sense. And yeah. OK. Well, and the way they've been used in pest management is typically as uh, sex pheromones, identifying the, the pheromones that the typically the female releases to attract the male. Blah blah blah. Well, they've taken it to another level. They have a product called Noctovi, which is an attract and kill pest control for noctuid moths. What's a noctuid moth? Think uh, cutworms, armyworms. All right, that family of moths. Right, these are pests, right, of corn and soybeans and cotton and other crops around the world. And some of these crops have been managed, They, they the, the pests, these noctuids have been managed through Bt's or insecticides, but they're starting to develop resistance to those, right? And the farmers are looking for new ways to manage this. Um, and ISCA stepped in, and they have this product called Noctovia. This is not a, I'm not trying to push this product, this is not a sell. It's just, this is the first time I've seen this approach to semiochemicals and yeah, it was kind of, kind of cool. So, what they did was they found those semiochemicals that attract the moth and the moth only
1: males but, and females?
0: Yeah. Yeah. And then they laced it with an insecticide. And these attractants are floral chemicals that are found in flowers that would attract the moths. So moths have these proboscis. The adult moths have proboscis, and they feed on flowers, right, nectar and all that. So they, they're they tricking the moth, thinking they're coming in for a nice flower treat, and then they taste this, and it's laced with insecticide, and it kills them. And he showed, the, the CEO, the president, showed video of these in cotton fields where they spray like every 10th row, and the moths, they're they're not, they're, they're nocturnal. They come out at night, right? And they have these videos where in those rows that were sprayed, it's, it's a moth a I mean, there's just the moth There's just, you know, the adults flying all over the place, right? And then the next morning, it's like, you know, that scene in The Hangover. They're just all on the ground.
1: <laughs> kind of reminds me of a Netflix special that I recently watched about serial killers. <laughs> and uh, one of the phases is called wooing. Oh. So they woo their... They're victims, so this this attract and kill is is like that. They're oh like, hey, like we've got something good to eat. The Ted
0: Bundy yes. of pest management.
1: Yes. Oh, hey, looks like a good guy. Looks like a good food. What's up? Oh, bye bye now.
0: <laughs> here, smell this. Mm-hmm. Does this smell like chloroform? <laughs> You're going into my basement. Oh man, that's um, mm-hmm. yeah. Yeah, it
1: was very uh,
0: it was very interesting.
1: And What's the postdoc's name?
0: Or, I mean, he uh, former um, form postdoc. Oh, I knew you were going to ask me this. I have a hard time pronouncing the name. Ajindor, um
1: Postdoc with Joel Coates? No, no. Post- this
0: was uh, before our time. Oh. Uh, he was. I mean, a, Joel
1: kind of was, you know, he's
0: been here for four yeah, years. So. Yeah. Like before Joel's oh, was, time? No, 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 no. Before, no. Uh, he was oh. not a postdoc with Joel. He was a postdoc with Tom Baker, who is oh. a former chair of the highest Geomontology Department okay. now at uh, Penn State. Tom yeah. Baker is a. Uh, I think what you call a heavy hitter in the world of pheromones, semi chemicals uh, IPM kind of stuff. And Agenor Maffernetto, and I'm probably butchering his name. Maybe mm-hmm. it's Agenor Maffernetto, was a um, postdoc that worked with him and uh, went into developing this on the applied side and has formed this company, ISCA Technologies. And, uh, yeah, it was a remarkable Hearing that and seeing, you know, how they've taken this idea and expanded upon it, and that was cool. Just um, a different
1: strategy. I like, yeah. I like it. I yeah. Wonder if it would attract more than noctuids. Would it attract other?
0: Well, that's the challenge, right? And they they want to find the floral scents that attract just the moth and not other things. Mm-hmm. And um, you know, based on what I saw, you know, and, and this is, you know, I'm, I'm, it's a little uncomfortable because it wasn't actual data that was presented, it was more like a case study, um, and, you know, the proof would be in, you know, the larger package that they would mm-hmm. present to a regulatory body to hmm. gain permission to use, but, um, you know, they he made the case that they went through and selected only those floral attractants for the moths, not for bees and other mm-hmm. beneficials. Hmm. So whether that actually works that way here in the States. I don't know, but.
1: Sounds like a cool meeting you went to. Yeah,
0: it was, it was, uh, that was fascinating. That was, um, um, yeah, I, I gotta say it was, you know, one of the weirdest meetings I've ever been to because you both have farmers and these non-farmer ag business types. And some of them are working in, in things that are maybe only tangential to the farmer, like data mining, um, artificial intelligence, uh, machine learning, mm-hmm. drones, semiochemicals, but they all made an effort to tie back what was sometimes very high level uh, of basic research to the application in farming. You know, the, the machine learning, uh, artificial intelligence guy says, you know, these are the programs. This is the space we're working in. But what we're headed to is coming up with more efficient patterns to drive through a field, so you use less fuel and have less impact on your machinery. Um, so that was, um, that was, that was all very interesting. Mm-hmm. Took a long time, you know, sitting there and listening to it, but yeah. uh, I think it was well worth it. <laughs> yeah. What do you, anyway,
1: that was, uh,
0: thank you. Aaron's <laughs> giving me the thank you for sharing face. <laughs>
1: no, it was cool. I, I haven't ever been to a meeting like that. Um, so it sounds like it'd be Pretty interesting conversations.
0: Man, neither had I. Um, Anyway, and maybe hopefully there will be more of that stuff in the future for us because I imagine that we're getting to a place with a lot of technology where they're looking for applications. Mm -hmm. You know, and and how does this relate to IPM? Well, you know, the challenge for pest management uh, is not always to come up with a tool that works but come up with a tool that works that is durable and cost efficient or cost effective right yeah and uh one of the things i heard at this meeting i'm curious what you think about this the farmers there talked about and they asked themselves a question is are we farming for yield or are we farming for profit and there were some farmers that I don't—I you know, don't want to put words in their mouths—but I think they were like, "Well, we're farming for yield, right?" But there were some of the audience that were pushing back, saying, "Is it worth putting all your inputs into all the possible inputs you can into a field to get the highest yield? If at the end of the day, that's gonna—that's not gonna make you the most money."
1: Yeah, especially in times when the market value isn't very high. Like, like
0: we're like we're, now. right now, yeah. yeah. And I didn't. I didn't say this at the meeting, but I, I'm, I think that's the point of IPM: is not to farm for yield, but to farm for profit.
1: Would well, I think that? it would be to farm for return on investment. You want the the highest profit margin you can based on the inputs that you're willing to put in. So a lot of IPM is taking action, protecting yield, suppressing pests. So that the, the yield is protected and you're not, you're not doing more than you have to. You're not doing the kitchen sink approach because in the, at the end of the day it may not pay off. Is that, is that what you have us uh, feelings about or not?
0: Yeah. I, it's hard. Yeah, I'm kind of struggling with this because I, I think the discussions I've heard about this, this idea of farm for profit versus yield, are not coming from a place of pest management. Mm-hmm. it's it's much broader mm-hmm. it's sort of whole farm management right yeah. it's and it's thinking about all the inputs mm-hmm. and you know all the factors that affect yield and profit and and trying to come up with a strategy that that gets a farmer to a place where they're farming sustainably in the sense that their their profit margins are consistent and 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 maximized um, and I think again i kind of come back to some of the work the early work that that i refer to and i use and i'm teaching on integrated pest management that gets to what's the gain threshold you know how much does it cost to to use this product versus how much it's going to get you in terms of yield
1: Mm -hmm.
0: and i think that's a smaller version of that larger discussion
1: yeah absolutely because the range of just Just seed costs from, you know, bare bones to top-notch, premium, whatever you want to call it, you know, that can have a lot of variability per bag, especially for corn. And then you think about the fertility programs can be highly ranging, you know, very sophisticated to kind of bare minimum. So even just a couple of those agronomic decisions that they have to make, very expensive, before the seed even goes in the ground before they have to worry about insects diseases nematodes anything else yeah
0: yeah and I guess the one thing that I'm wondering about is does that approach thinking about all the costs and all does that does that get you to a place where you're thinking yeah IPM is a is a strategy we should be more involved in and be more thinking about or does that make you more cautious and get you to a place where you're like I got to be preventative, and I got to play defense here. Mm
1: -hmm. I think people are more likely to consider IPM, at least from a pest management perspective, when the market values (coughs) low. When market values are high, people tend to uh, want to be risk averse and be as proactive as they can because they feel like they're going to get a good market value. So, but are they? they,
0: I, I don't disagree with you. I think you're right. But is that is that coming from a place of Somebody farming for yield, yes, and regardless of the farm price or the not the farm price, the, the commodity value, should you be farming for profit you know and and've I've talked to a couple of people about this, and some of them have said there is no difference. there's no dichotomy here, farming for yield and farming for profit, it's the same thing at the end of the day you you're selling this right. But I'm not sure that's true. I think if you are farming for profit, you aren't always trying to get the highest yield. Yeah. yeah. And, and I think if you're farming for yield, that is, that is your focus. And, and everything else may become secondary.
1: I agree. And when I, th- when I hear people t- from the economics side looking at market outlooks and things like that, you know, we, we can produce too much grain when it comes to like corn and soybean in which the demand is really high and the so the i mean i should say the supply is very high so the price goes down yeah right so if everybody is producing a bin buster you know then we're not going to get the price that they or farmers are not going to get the price that they want so at the end of the day it's producing a crop that is profitable not necessarily that is the most yeah as far as grain
0: yeah and then i don't know no, that's the, so there's a, that's a kind of a macroeconomic issue, right? Yeah.
1: I yeah. And I don't it. understand the details, but like supply and demand, like the world cannot produce record-breaking yields and have farmers be successful. and
0: Or be profitable. Be, be I mean, they're profitable. successful, right? Yeah. I mean, yeah. they're successful in the sense that they, they got, yeah. you know, 300 bushel per acre yeah. corn and 100 bushel per acre soybeans. Mm-hmm. Great. But yeah, you're not, you're not paid more. You don't, you don't earn more maybe in that You system. may not. Yeah. Yeah. And, and and then the other wrinkle to this is there may be parts of your field where you just cannot get that because
1: the the, yield potential is not there. You're never going to, you're never going to get the highest yield that's for that genetics just because of soil, the biophysical characteristics, right? Mm -hmm. The soil landscape you were saying. Mm -hmm. Yeah.
0: Yeah, So um, anyway, it's again, getting back to this meeting where you had farmers and agribusiness and they were kind of, I won't say they were butting heads, mm-hmm. but they were at the end, when the farmers were kind of talking, um, there was this sort of meeting point at, you know, in terms of well what are we actually doing here? you know and and and, and it was interesting because that same discussion I'm hearing in academic circles. Mm-hmm. I'm hearing in conservation circles, you know of, of you know the people who have different goals that they want out of the land saying, well, what are we doing with this land you know are we trying to get the highest yield all the time or are we trying to you know set up a system where the farmers can make the most sustainable profit or
1: i think it's really hard for farmers to decide do i want to go for as as many bushels as possible or do i want to try and think about return on investment because when they're selecting seed chemical fertility programs oftentimes they're not selling that grain for 12 to 18 months you know, yeah. They 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 yeah. purchase that, but they're not going to plant it, and then they may not sell it till two years after. You know, just based on when they're doing that. So it's hard because you don't know what the market value. You don't know if it's going to be high or low. So it's hard. I can't I can't imagine a more risky type of job to have.
0: Yeah.
1: Yeah. And then there's us that are like, you know, use IPM, scout, and only treat when you need to. Well, that's easy for us to say because you know it's like, well, they've got to try and that's their livelihood.
0: Yeah. No. And this. This might sound trivial, but there's also an issue of marketing. Like, I I get the sense that when I bust out the term IPM to a group of farmers, um, it's it's a little bit like the response I get from my daughter when I say, like, you know, you can, you can clean your room. Yeah. She kind of rolls her eyes. Like, yeah, Dad, I know. But I've got homework. You know, I've got sports practice. You know, um, we're, 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 Preparing for the plate a is full. Yeah, yeah. And it's like you know, cleaning the room is you know not the first thing on my list to do yeah. right now. Yeah, sure, it would be nice to have, you know, a cleaner room, but it's not, it's not going to immediately affect my life mm-hmm. in the same way that getting this homework done or this application completed for whatever scholarship. And I, I'm not trying to say that that farmers are children. I'm just trying to say that you know, in my experience, it's it's a similar reaction because. I think they're thinking, you know, you're you're putting at the top of the list your mm-hmm. your interests, which sure that's that's interesting, but in perspective of all the stuff that I have to get done, yeah, it, it's it's not that high it goes to the bottom of the yeah. list. Yeah. and then yeah. there's an issue of marketing. It's like, yeah, I've heard IBM before, I've heard that term, and mm-hmm. then you know, thank you very much, yeah. but but again, it it comes back to this sort of shift, right? If, if farmers are thinking now because they have precision ag and, and newer tools to explore profitability for their farm, well, IPM might be able to help with that. And that's, I think that's new. And I think at least new in the sense that traditionally IPM and pest management in this part of the world is scout and spray. That may not actually be the full, um, Way to think about it. You know, if you go back to some of the work done by my predecessor, Larry Pettigrew, who was a soybean entomologist before me, there was a lot of math. <laughs> you know, math that involved dollars and cents in terms of how much does this cost in terms of using a, a tool, whether it's insecticides or resistant varieties, and what are you going to get in terms hmm. of yield return, and then do the math on how much that that um, given certain commodity prices, that's going to pay back to you, that gain threshold.
1: Yeah, I I like that idea of, like, coming back to it. I mean, it's back to the future of IPM, because I think as farmers think about variable rate technology uh, on their farm, even within a field, you know, they understand the concept that not every acre is the same. You know, not even within a field, the acres aren't the same. So to think about, like, Customizing your pest control—it's not one decision for the whole farm. You can do something much more specific and have, basically, only where you need to is where you're taking action. That it's uh, an interesting concept that I, I wish we could relate better to farmers.
0: Yeah, I wonder. Um, we've been talking for a while, which can happen when it's what minus twenty outside, and
1: mm-hmm.
0: um, it's only.
1: Uh, it's going to get warmer. Tomorrow's going to be a heat wave. What are yeah. you talking about? Yeah, but
0: then Monday, it's cold again. Oh. Hey, thank you, climate change. Very temperature. Um, maybe we should get an economist in this podcast.
1: Why not? Why not? There's probably a few at Iowa State. Yeah. I should think I you know a few. About this.
0: Yeah. something. Maybe we can hit, tease that for season 10.
1: Okay.
0: Anything else? You still on the road?
1: Oh, yeah. Yeah, it's been a busy January, February. I have a handful of meetings around the state, but mostly talking about soybean gall midge. Oh, hot yeah. new topic. Everybody wants the answer.
0: And what's the answer? Quick.
1: Don't know. Oh. Don't know. Uh, there's so much. You do know under, some stuff, though. Me about the management. I don't know anything about the management. I don't know.
0: But you got a species name now. We right? have a name,
1: Roselia maxima.
0: Yeah. And is this new to the world? New to science?
1: I mean, the guy that is the midge guy, he's a USDA scientist in DC. Um, when he's working, well, he's back at work now. Um, he is not aware of any other place in the world where it's found. So that's why it's a brand new species. Wow, that is so cool. And midge life cycles, biology is very complicated. I'm trying to learn as much as I can, but...
0: It's complicated? This is coming from somebody who grew up academically studying aphids.
1: Oh, it's way more complicated. No. I mean, he, he said he's collected a few midges that he doesn't know what host they're on. He's only collected the adults, and he doesn't know what they feed on. So a lot of times they're very hard to find they're at low-lying levels and because they're low-lying levels, well population, population they're yeah. just a few of them they're not, not that they're, not, they're
0: like low to the ground
1: well they it. can be low to the ground oh yeah. yeah and so um they have often associated fungal hosts or i don't know what you call it they create like these fungal pockets in the soil they can fling themselves into different areas so the maggots will like
0: fungal pockets like I gotta they, say, they over-winter that sounds like a fungal pocket. They overwinter a fungal pocket. That sounds like something that might go on in my daughter's uh, yet to be cleaned bedroom.
1: Mm, I'm sure you are gonna find some fungal pockets. And Is just, that where the
0: larvae live? Well, they they're,
1: they kind of over. He said most of them overwinter as like tweens. They're not larvae, they're not pupae, they're kind of like pre pupae. Yeah, it sounds like my daughter's. Yes, yeah. so they're tweens yeah. and they fling themselves and they often have variable hosts. And so we don't know exactly where they're spending the winter and what maybe <laughs> they're doing in the spring and the fall.
0: Sounds like my, That could sound like my daughter when she goes off to college. Not quite sure where she's spending the winter. Yeah,
1: because you think about like how long has soybean in, been in North America?
0: Do you know? Oh, yeah.
1: I mean, not that long, right? Less than 100 years.
0: years. Yeah.
1: So is this a new species? Is it a hose species shift. that's native here to North yeah. America that's all of a sudden had a host shift? Or has it just been at low line levels and all of a sudden... Had the best year ever. Had, did it come over from Asia, like soybean aphid? You know, it's unknown. They they don't see. It's un- it. Yeah, yeah, they not yeah. So, so much oh, is unknown. yeah So,
0: uh, not to say that it couldn't be in Asia. We just, yeah. we don't know. They
1: and we ha- we're working with a midge guy in Japan who yeah. said you know, they have a different midge that attacks soybean, but it's not this one. So it's like a it's in the same genus, but uh, so many questions and. We're hoping to get a few answers this summer, but that's, you know, when you talk about like, how do how do people want to solve this problem? They want to solve it with chemistry. They want to solve it with insecticides. And so the, the people that have heard me talk say, have you tried X, have you tried Y? And it's all, their suggestions are death by chemical. It's not talking about any of the other factors yeah. of IPM.
0: Yeah, um, and you don't know. Yeah. I mean, nobody has done experiments looking at what insecticide, I mean, could you.
1: But how do you access a maggot that's feeding on the inside of a plant? It's a challenge with all stem feeding or internally feeding insects is the products that we use in soybean or contact through, you know, through contact or ingestion. So accessing the larvae is going to be very difficult. So is it an adult management program? There's so
0: many questions. Yeah. And as a callback to the earlier part of this podcast, there are novel ways beyond toxic chemicals, primarily, to manage insects. Yeah, you know, but it takes some knowledge of their ecology and biology to exploit that in order to come up with those new tools. Um,
1: Find the weak weak link and get after it.
0: Oh, that's a great place to end.
1: Okay. Yeah, that's cool. Time.
0: Yeah. Oh, my gosh. We. Got, I had no idea how complicated. You're very modest about this. You know a lot now. I no, mean,
1: not hardly know anything.
0: Well, but you know what you don't know.
1: I, I, I know I don't know very much. Yeah. Mm-hmm.
0: But, but there's still a lot that has been learned. And, you know, to be fair to yourself, you haven't had a chance to, like, do the, the real field work.
1: Right? Oh, it was mostly just observational. So visiting farmer fields and research farm fields um, no actual research conducted by my, by me last year so it's just hey oh there it is yep yeah well observations one of the steps of the scientific method come mm, on okay next gotcha. yep yeah. mm-hmm. good point i got to see it first
0: all right well should we wrap up
1: let's say goodbye for now yeah yeah never... till next time till next time okay thanks erin thanks matt